What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another Serious Angler podcast. Uh, I am your host, Bailey Eichbrett, and I am coming to you live from a hotel in Wisconsin. I am here for a work trip, and here, running the show, pushing all the buttons for me tonight, is my co-host, the captain, Mr. Andy Full. Oh, you know, um, big week. Truck's back in the shop. We're uh, doing good things. Got it back Friday night. She's broke again. So <laughs> kudos to Basil Ford. Never buy a truck there. I apologize. I'm just really fed up with it. But yeah, but um, we uh, smashed them on the steelhead trips today and legs are a little tired and got to get up at 430 tomorrow and do it again. So hey, that's yeah, the kind of life, my friend. Yeah, it's fun. So I got to go tie about 100 egg sacks after we're done with this. So I'm probably gonna be up to about one or two. It's gonna be a good night. Hey, every time you bring up getting up early and you know doing all the crap you got to do for guiding, I will always remind you it's better than getting up at 6 a.m. going to that goddamn bank. Fair. Very yeah. fair. Fair. That's extremely fair. So I just I can't wait for it to get warm again to get the boat back out. Speaking of which, we had that crazy windstorm in Buffalo over the weekend. You were here for it. It ripped my boat cover off. It was like partially like up on my garage yeah so like i've had to check and make sure it's not torn but my boat did get nice and dry due to the wind so next step is getting it to storage if i can ever get it there if my truck would stop breaking down so yeah, yeah. i think like i told you after it broke down the first time that it's time for a new truck well, I can't trade it in if I don't have it. So, like, <laughs> like, like I'm, a, I'm in a little pickle here, but it is what well, it is. We'll figure it out, buddy. No, no worries at all. Life um, goes on. Yeah. But uh, guys, really, really fun show tonight. Uh, we have Mr. Dean Rojas joining us, and uh, we had a few technical difficulties, but he pulled through, and we super appreciate him uh, figuring out and uh, taking the time out to join us tonight. So we're going to be doing a, a cool segment here tonight talking about power fishing versus finesse fishing and, you know, it's different situational uses for each. So who better than Mr. Dean Rojas to join us? And we're excited to have him. Yeah, but uh, awesome. Andy, before we get uh, before we get into that, uh, a couple different things. Uh, I think first and foremost, we have a lot of big, big things coming into uh, 2022 and Obviously, like you told me not to, I won't say anything, but uh, exciting 2022 for you, my friend. Uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll divulge later on that one. <laughs> Andy, Andy will let us know when the time is right, but uh, we're really excited 2022 because it's going to be action-packed, a lot coming down the pipe, and uh, we're just really excited. And uh, we appreciate everyone who shows the support week by week, day by day. It uh, means the world to us. So. Um, Andy, I think without further ado, we have some people joining in here now. Obviously, we're running uh, a little later on the show tonight, and that is 100% my fault because I'm here in Central Time Zone uh, on a work trip. But Hope you uh, had a good dinner. I had a great dinner. Thank you for allowing me to enjoy my dinner peacefully before we have Mr. Dean Rojas on here tonight. Yeah. Dude, I think without further ado, we got to get him in here. Absolutely. You want me to him bring him in? Good evening, Dean. Hey, Andrew. Hey, Bailey. How are we doing tonight? Good, man. How are you? Um, wonderful. It's awesome. um, it's about seventy degrees outside, and it's been warm out here in the desert. Uh, I got to go do some fishing yesterday. Caught some big smallmouth and largemouth. So, uh, a couple of weeks before Christmas, they're biting. Yeah, I'm jealous. 
Thank you. <laughs> it's, it's weird because, and Dean, I think, first of all, thank you for uh, going through the lovely headache of technology to uh, join us here tonight. We really appreciate that. Um, yeah, it's it's like it's. I do so many of these, and every you guys, I mean, you guys use all different kinds of streaming time. So I have to download and look. You know, I have to go through the whole process every single time. But hey, it doesn't matter. We're here. We can talk about fishing now, and uh, it's all good. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, that yeah, that is the the short of it. This technology world, it's like nine hundred different directions. So we appreciate you, uh, you mm-hmm. hopping in with us. But uh, it, it's it's so funny that it's mid December, you know, a week out from Christmas, and you're out in you know the, the Western time zones, and you're catching fish. And it's weird that we're here in the East Coast, and our fish are still chewing, and it's almost Christmas. I feel like you know five six years ago that was not the case. We'd be on the ice. But uh, I mean, we were out on Lake Erie and the Great Lakes just last weekend. So it's wow, uh, kind of cool to see this shift that we're seeing, especially in the Northeast. Uh, yeah, what, what was the water temperature out there on Erie? I'm pulling it up right now. Okay. It was when we were out there on Sunday. It was 42 degrees. 42. Yeah, we were out yesterday. It was about 57, 58. But we got a big cold front coming in right now. And Havasu gets to about, I've seen it like 48 and 49 degrees, about as cold as I've seen it. But usually like in January, it hovers around 50 to 51 in that range. And um, man, it can be really good. There's there's certain windows when they bite like that and you can just load, you can catch them really quick, but then they shut down and then you just got to go find another group or something and hope you hope they're ready to bite at that time. It's, it's, it's fickle this time of year, you know, it's just the, the window is so short in comparison to the regular season, you know, when you're out there, you know, in the springtime or summertime which is all the time yeah i wonder if it has a lot to do with like the sun time as well like how long the sun is out like your daylight time so that shortens those feeding windows well i think it does i mean they know that this time is coming you know obviously the days are getting shorter there's a lot more darkness than there is light um last month on the full moon i went fishing like four nights in a row at night night fishing and I was still in like shorts and like a long sleeve tee, you know, it was really comfortable still. Uh, but man, they chewed. I mean, they, they, like, they wouldn't bite during the daytime, but in the night, and, I mean, they were just chewing and they're all like four and five, six pounders. It was amazing. Um, when you fish at night, it's like a different class of fish that bite at night than they do during the daytime. And they, 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 the way they, they hit the bait, it's, it's so aggressive in comparison to like when you're fishing daylight, you know, you, it's, yeah. it's not a mushy feeling. It's, Boy, they, when they get it, they get it. It's it's cool. Awesome. I saw. I tried. Uh, I first started fishing at night probably three years ago, when uh, up in the northeast in early August things were really tough, pretty stingy, uh, especially pressures. That that's when our pressure is at an all time high in terms of fishing pressure, yeah. and all the different variables there. But I tried fishing at night, and it was like completely eye opening. Like nature mm-hmm. coming. And all these fish that were impossible to catch during the day, you were catching them by the 20s and 30s at night, and it just sounded mm-hmm. like it was raining and like cannonballs falling from the sky with the bait and yeah. busting on it. The top water strikes were insane. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, like exactly that point. Like it's kind of crazy at certain times of the year. Night fishing is unruly, but um, I'm kind of curious where where you're at in the fall because for us, um, you know, it's usually the the nastier the better in the fall. Uh, for mm-hmm. fishing does is that say stay true for you out where you're at yeah you know for for our lake you know i think it's different in a lot of ways but 
you know, Havasu was my training ground, you know, through the early years when I was, you know, wanted to be a pro, I moved out here because it, it had all the great attributes that, that I would be facing throughout the country. But it, it's unique in the sense that, you know, the fish, um, they don't do well with pressure. We don't, there's not a lot of fish. I mean, there's a lot of them, but they're not like, like you guys have. You guys have a lot of fish uh, in your lakes and so forth. But they, you know, they, they, they can get a bit real fickle, you know, and when the lake's turning over, they don't want to bite. You know, it's just, it's, we go through the same process that you guys do in the regular lakes uh, and rivers throughout the whole system. So, you know, timing's a big thing. And for here, you know, it stays warm so long that, I mean, it, it just drudges out in like September, October, and then usually the first week of November, you know, it's just, it's not real good. It's horrible, you know, because you need that cold break. And then we got it about, you know, two and a half weeks ago. And then, you know, the water started to drop and we were still in like 68, 67 degree water wow. temperature. Yeah. And now we're like at 58 right now. So it dropped 10 degrees in about three weeks, two and a half weeks. So it's getting shorter and everything, but this is one of my favorite times to go fishing now because um, the smallmouth get real shallow here on Lake Havasu. And uh, for whatever reason, the colder it is, the shallower they get. They love getting on those rock bars and those, those points that go way out and you can catch them, you know, cranking, you can catch them on a, you know, a little jig or, you know, whatever you want to do, you can catch them. And they're just, they're, they're in, you know, here they'll start spawning in like February. So we're, we're about, you know, 45 days, 60 days out before they start getting on the beds here. Wow. So, and you know, they'll get on about 53, 54 degrees. You'll start, you'll see them up there, you know, real shallow. And then, uh, you know, I've seen them as early as the first week of February on beds here. Yeah, that sounds about right for that water temp, too. Mm. I see that a lot in Lake Erie and Buffalo, like right as soon as the water hits 50. Really? Full moon or not, we'll start seeing them. Yeah, they're coming. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Like in waves, thousands Mm -hmm. at a time. It's wild. And it lasts all the way through almost to July. Yeah. Yeah. We went, uh, I remember fishing up up in Dunkirk there. And you guys were out of Buffalo? I'm out. Yeah. Bailey just moved here, but yeah, I live about eight minutes from Safe Harbor. Small yeah, yeah. or whatever it is. So yeah, yeah, no, that's cool, cool area up there. It's uh, that's some big water, man. Whew. Yeah, so it is. Yeah, it's fun. it was uh, it's scary but kind of cool in the same fact. Like, oh, yeah, you can't uh, you really can't take Mother Nature for granted on that Ooh. big water. I mean, but Andy, how big were they on this past? Were like twenty three foot waves with the with that wind that we got? Yeah, so we had uh, hurricane force wind warnings on. Was it Saturday? Yeah, Saturday. And um, I think the max gust in Buffalo was 73 miles an hour coming in southwest. Yeah, the water um, sieged about eight foot. So it came up about eight foot in Buffalo Harbor and flooded everything with 20 footers. Yeah. So all the, all, all those, those rock breakers that you have out front there with the waves just going over the top of them? Yeah. Oh, wow. Oh, man. That's big. <laughs> yeah, it, it's massive. Yeah. So. yeah, there's like a, my buddy sent me a video. He drove by the lake just to go see what it looked like, and he went up and there's like this ten almost ten foot bank up on top, and you can go down to the beach where obviously the lake's at. And his truck was up on top, parked next to his bank, and he was just getting swamped with waves. Oh, with water! Wow, man, it was insane. The video he sent mm-hmm. me, mm-hmm. yeah, that's pretty crazy. but uh, mm-hmm. Before we uh before we get too deep into tonight's show, Dean, um, because I've listened to a bunch of the shows that you've done, and I've always been really intrigued in uh, you know learning from you and listening to the shows where you've had on, especially like BTL, where you've dove yeah. into different techniques and such. But uh, I don't believe I've ever gotten to know 
really your start into bass fishing, like your first fish you ever caught, like the, like the day one. And uh, obviously, I don't want to go on for too long about this. because I'm sure you get asked all the time, but I'm yeah. just super curious, you know, who got you into it, that whole story. Yeah, so I, I grew up in San Diego, California, and, you know, obviously, that's not a hotbed for, for bass lakes. You know, we, the lakes we have are real small. But um, I was, uh, I caught my first bluegill. I was probably around nine years old, nine or 10 years old. Um, my older brother, Jim, we used to ride our bikes to a kid's lake uh, named Choice Lake, which is, um, you had to be 15 or younger to be able to fish there. So they would stock with trout, you know, and stuff, but we would go catch, you know, bluegill. And, and I remember as a kid during that time, you know, you'd see uh, the older kids, which were older to me, you know, they were probably 12 or 13 years old at the time, but they were fishing for bass and, and, and I'd watch them catch them. And, you know, a, a bluegill's, you know, a little bluegill, a bass is, you know, a bass. And, and so there's a distinct difference there. And I remember watching him catch one and, and still in my mind, I mean, it's so cool. And I just thought, man, what a beautiful fish. I mean, they're just gorgeous. You know, uh, the water was clear. So their colors were really vibrant, you know, and they had a big mouth and they jumped and all that stuff. And that's, that's where I, I, I learned, you know, to, to fish. And, um, and then I just, I just loved it. I, the challenge of it, I would ride my bike there at, at school every day. And, um, and as I grew older, 13, 14, uh, you get friends there. So we'd ride our bikes together and we'd, we'd fish all day. And, and every day during the summertime, we would go there every day and fish in the mornings. And then I'd come home and then go back in the evening for the evening bite, you know, and it just, it was just, I, I loved it. I loved it so much. It's all I wanted to do. And so during that time, you know, you're reading the magazines and at back then, you know, we had field and stream or outdoor life. And, uh, and then you would have, you know, uh, us bass, and then you would have the bass masters, uh, magazine at that time. So, you know, and I would, you know, I used to go to the swamp with my dad when I was younger we, and we just walk around, I'd see all the fishing magazines there and, and I'd, I'd buy a few, you know, you know, for a nickel or whatever it was. And I remember reading about the tournaments, you know, and, and reading about the standings and everything and looking at the prize money and everything. And then, you know, and back then we didn't have cable television. Okay. Cause you know, I grew up poor in an area that I was at. So it was, we didn't have that stuff, but it wasn't until we got cable when I was in my you know late teens that uh, we watched the TNN show where they showed the bass masters. They showed, you know, the top 100, all the, all that competitive fishing, Roland Martin, Jimmy Houston, Orlando Wilson, Bill dance, all that stuff. And I'd, I would tape those shows on my VHS tape, you know, it's uh, the old school deal. And I would watch them over and over again and, 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 and trying to figure out how in the heck did these guys get their own TV show? So they're obviously a way to make a living fishing, you yeah. know, and that's what I want to do. And so I guess I was, I was, um, I was fortunate, I guess, uh, in my year, early years of 15 or 16, I knew what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a professional angler. I mean, there was no, no doubt about it, but I didn't know how to go about doing it. I mean, like I said, San Diego is not a, a bed of where you can just hop on, you know, the Bassmaster tour and, you know, and do that. So, um, but I worked two jobs. I saved all my money you know, to get a bass boat and, and started fishing the regional events throughout the whole West. I mean, it could be Northern California, Nevada, Arizona, Lake Havasu, Lake Mead, the California Delta, Clear Lake. Shasta, all those lakes. So I, I, I fished the whole Western region and, uh, through the Wombass and, uh, and try to learn as much as I could. You know, I'd pick up a little sponsor here, a little bit of sponsor there. And, and I was doing well. Um, of course I'd have some bombs too, you know, obviously you're just I'm learning, but as it, you know, it got more and more, um, 
then, you know, I started guiding at home and because you know, I was working two jobs and, but I can make more money guiding. And so for me, there was, an, you know, my ultimate goal was to be a professional angler. So everything else was sacrificed or, or if it didn't help me get to that point, I wouldn't do it. So everything that I was doing was, was funding my, my dream and my goal was, was to, you know, to get to, to the, the Bassmaster Tour. And, you know, I had in my mind, I was going to move to Texas and I was going to go do the whole thing because there was no tournaments out West. And then in 1997, they opened it up and they had a Western division uh, for, you know, for the open. So at the time they were the invitationals and that's what we were chopping the bit for, because I knew when those three tournaments showed up out West, that was my ticket. That was my ticket to back because, you know, they would take, you know, the, the, they would take 15 qualifiers to go back to the top 150 tour. So I knew right then and there, this is it, you know, so I uh, did everything I could. And I, I qualified uh, the first year in the, in the, uh, in the invitationals. And what you don't know about the invitationals is you fish pro on pro. There's no pro and amateur. So you've got two guys that are, that are gunslinging down. I mean, you're just, you're going head to head, you know, on the whole deal. So uh, it's, it's, it's challenging, but I loved it because I learned a lot from different guys because you know, they do different techniques. And so for me, um, fishing those lakes and managing time and learning what, you know, making decisions on the water ultimately, you know, was, you know, was good. I, and I qualified, uh, I didn't qualify for the classic that year, but, uh, I qualified for the top 150. So at that, at that time, I didn't know how I was going to do it. If I had to go in debt, I didn't care because that was my ticket. I mean, I was going to go and, and compete at the top, the highest level ever. And, and I've worked, you know, my whole life to get there. And I, and I ended up getting there when I was 20. Six years old, I fished my very first one, and I just—I'll never forget this because it's a cool story, guys. It's the first one I ever—I ever fished. Um, you know, I lived, and at that time I moved to like Cavalier because it was—it was good, good training ground. You know, for me, we have northern strain bass here in San Diego. We have uh, Florida strain, so you know, the, the northern strain a lot more aggressive when it's when it's colder out. But um, the first event that I had to go to was at the Potomac River. So from, if you look at a map from, you know, yeah. bottom corner, I mean, you go, it's on the other side of the continent, you know, it's like what, 3,500 miles or something. Yeah, yeah it was crazy. Mm -hmm. Then I had to go at that time. I was sponsored by, by Skeeter at the time and they wanted me to swing by the factory and all that stuff. But, and, um, but making that trek up there and I was just so excited, but scared, you know, terrified. I'd never seen this place before. And I had maps and I had all this stuff laid out, you know, and just, and I didn't really care. All I wanted to do was catch a limit. I, I just, that was my goal because I'm going to a place I've never been to before. It's tidal. I don't ever fish tides. You know, <laughs> just, right. you, know you don't fish that stuff. And so I remember the first day I caught my limit and I was just so excited. And uh, I think it weighed like nine pounds. And, um, and I was hovering around, you know, 50th place or something like that. And so it was a, you know, two day event. And then if the third day, um, you know, actually it was a three day event and then the final 10 fished on the final day. But I remember the last day, um, the first, when I weighed in my fish that day, that first day, um, and I, you know, I had a nine pounds and, and I'm waiting at the tanks and I'm walking up and there's all these people. And I just feel this chill about me because, you know, I'm actually going to weigh in, you know, at my first, you know, tournament as a pro. And I go to the tanks and, you know, Denny Brower's in front of me and Rick Clum's over here and Larry Nixon's right here. I mean, these are guys that I idolize. And these are guys that I watched on television and read all these articles. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm here now. I'm amongst them. And, and for me, I, I was, it was an incredible moment because 
I had reached my goal of, you know, of getting to this level. I, of course, had other goals too, but that was such a big, big feat, you know, to do that and to, and to get there. And so for me, it was, um, I'll never forget it. It's it's embedded in my mind, you know, on on just the the images that I can bring up in my mind and think about it, you know, what it all looked like and how I felt that day. That's pretty wicked. I love to hear like, these early stories before there was live streams, before there was, you know, these mm-hmm. tournament coverages that we can just, you know, look up on YouTube and watch now. Mm-hmm. You know, that these stories, because it, it keeps it going in the sport, because with that, you know, us being in, like we talked about technology early on, right? You know, this mm-hmm. being in this day of age of technology, you know, not having those recordings, it's like, it's hard to, for, for folks to remember. So if we can keep bringing up these stories and more mm-hmm. folks remember and tune back and, I would have killed to be in some of these boats with these guys going head to head, you know, pro and pro. Oh and so, yeah, yeah. I would just to have a, a seat mm-hmm. just to popcorn to watch these guys. That mm-hmm. would that would be awesome. Like if that would like and then you and I believe you and Mark have talked about it on VTL of how great TV that would be nowadays. That mm-hmm. would be. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's it's cool to hear about that. So thank you for sharing. No, you're welcome. And, and the coolest part about that whole thing is, I end up cashing a check in that event they paid 40 places and i finished 26 in that event and again i was not i got I caught a, a four pounder I, I you know i got lucky or whatever however it went by and i remember i uh when i got my plaque because they gave plaques away and i got my four thousand dollar check okay my interview was like i don't know 1500 whatever it was back then and i and that was on friday afternoon i left potomac river on friday afternoon at 6 p.m and headed home and I pulled into Havasu on noon on Sunday. I just, I, I was so excited that I drove all the way across the whole country and wanted to get home. Of course, I was a zombie when I got home. I was worthless because I just, you know, I've been, you know, drove 2,000 miles. But every time I would get tired, I'd look over at the trophy and the check or the plaque. And, and, it, and it would just, you know, and I would start thinking about, you know, how this is awesome. I can do this, you know, and, and, it, and it was just such a, um a, a great time in my life during that you know because of, of just you know reaching those goals and, and just always achieving and moving up and, and cherishing those moments because those are the ones that make the journey great you know and those yeah. are the ones that you remember heck yeah andy were you gonna add something in there i feel like i cut you yeah off. so fun little sidebar question how much of a pain was it traveling from arizona to the potomac because i think you said that was what 97 98 with mm-hmm. the MapQuest printout from like the dial-up <laughs> internet, how many exits did you miss from Arizona to the Potomac while trailering a boat three thousand miles across the country? Because we're talking about electronics and technology, we didn't have cell phones with Google Maps mm-hmm. and Apple Maps. Yeah. So, yeah. and as somebody who drove from Buffalo to Arizona with my mom when I was a young kid, I know the pains of missing exits on the throughway. Mm-hmm. So I'm just mm-hmm. curious. If you can recall. I, I had a really big road atlas is what I had. Okay. Perfect. All like the big pull I mean, out like, book. Oh yeah. yeah. So I could see everything, you know, I'm like, I need to get yeah. there. So I draw a line. I'm like, how can I, you know, you know, yeah. but believe me, um, thank God for GPS now because I always got lost. Okay. I always <laughs> missed the exit. I always, you know, and I spent more time double back and trying to find, you know, where was that? And, yeah. and I, and I just, you know, once we got in our boats and then we got in our cars now, it's just like you type it in and it sends you there, you know, but my gosh, it, it's so much easier now than it was because it was such a pain back then because, you know, you, you had nobody, you didn't, you know, a cell phone back then. Yeah. I mean, you didn't have that, you know, it's just, it was just different, you know, 
but you managed and it was yeah. just a way of, of just doing it. And, um, you know, it just, and you watch like, you know, now the guys on tour now, you know, they're, they're just so savvy when it comes to all that stuff, you know, and, and, you know, they're up on it all. And, and it's just, you know, and it is, it's the sign of the times. It's, it's mm-hmm. where you're in your prime when you're coming into a, into your own, into a sport or a career or whatever it is. And, you know, they've been around that stuff a lot. I mean, I didn't, I, you know, when I went to Potomac, I didn't, I, mean, I didn't have a graph. I had a flasher up front. I mean, because I was a shallow water guy. I mean, that's what I did. I, and because the water's so clear out here, I could see the bottom. So I didn't need one. I knew how deep it was, you know. Mm-hmm. If I didn't, I just stuck my rod in the water to see <laughs> if it was dirty or not, you know. Yeah. I would know. But, you know, but that's, that's the simple simplicity of it all uh, in comparison to today where we have, you know, active target. We have, you know, stuff that shows in front of us. You know, we know where to cast. We know where the brush pile is at. You know, where the channel is at. You know, where the fish are swimming at now. And we never had any of that, you know. I mean, we just, you know we just, you know, we saw grass, you know, you, you know, it was, just, it was just so different, you know, than it is today. Uh, and there's just so much technology out there now today that, you know, a lot of guys, it makes, it makes average guys that go out and fish good fishermen now, you know? So it, it's, it, it helps them be, because of the electronics, you know, they assist you in a way that you can knock back the time and stay in the competitive area more than you normally would. Yeah. That's really so really fast because he brought it up and I got this idea in my head. And so obviously, and the reason we got you on here today, quite frankly, is because we want this topic of when should you be throwing power? Uh, you know, when should you be power fishing? When should you be finesse fishing? When to know when to switch from vice versa? And we thought who better than Mr. Dean Rojas to get on here yeah. and talk about that because you're very good at both. Um, but I will say in what majority of your shows that folks get you on is talk about frog fishing. Mm-hmm. And I will, mm-hmm. I will guarantee you right now, we are not going to talk this entire show about frog fishing. I promise That's you. Right. That. Okay. <laughs> I have one curious question because I've seen some folks use it with top water, but have you ever used, uh, you, you mentioned active target. Have you used active target with frogs at all? Have you had any use for that? No, I, no, I, I don't because most of the stuff that I fish has grass and it just blocks it all out. I mean, you can't, you can't see anything. Um, and for me, it, the, the frog itself is more of a visual thing. It's, it's surface visual. So what I do is I visualize what's underneath the water you know, because, you know, we're fishing duckweed. I mean, you guys fish up there in those, those north uh, lakes up there. And, you know, you have a lot of um, duckweed, moss, you know, cheese, if you want to call it, any kind of hydrilla, I mean, milfoil, whatever it is. I mean, you have all that stuff. And for me, I look for access points to where it's the easiest way to fish to come up and grab the frog. So, um, yes, I, I, they love mass. I get that. I love, you know, but it's, it's very time consuming. I like, I like to be in areas where I can fish a little pocket or a little hole in mm-hmm. the grass, you know, or a little point or, or you can tell when there's, you know, on a, on a wing dam or something, you know, where you have a little bit of rock come out and there's not grass there, you know? So and you look for those little sweet spots that where the fish are just sitting right there in the grass, you know, next to the rocks and you throw that open area and they, they smoke it, you know? So that that's what I like to do um, as opposed to just, you know, heaving it over a mat and sitting there chugging it, you know, across the whole deal because you miss a lot of those fish because there's, there's so much debris on the surface. They, they end up either punting it, you know, or they grab it and, and maybe the frog turns over, it gets in a weird direction. They go clamp down and you set the hook and it comes flying out, you know? And so mm-hmm. I'm all about, the, the having the fish have a clear path to the bait 
There's nothing in the way, you know, and I don't care if I have to walk it off the mat and then slow it down once they get in that open water, because I know when he gets it, he's going to get it and I'll get him when he does that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just had to ask because I'm like, I've, I've seen some guys that you can, you know, you can turn your radius of your forward facing sonar, whichever brand you want to use to see top water and use top water baits with that forward facing. But I was like, I've never heard of anyone doing it with frogs. I'm like, if mm-hmm. anyone has gotta be dean so i had that just in case. <laughs> the, the only time i could see it really being like applicable is if you're fishing like pencil reeds and there's no like grass covering the surface and you're Correct. like yeah. four mm-hmm. to six foot of water mm-hmm. kind of panning mm-hmm. around that might mm-hmm. work with like a popping frog yes you know and i've caught them i caught them schooling like that on the frog as well when they get really good and they're schooling you know I, I'll, I'll catch them on a frog you know a shad pattern like a killer gill or something like that yeah. Because there's there's no better thing than, than than casting it out there and, and you know popping it and dancing and doing all this stuff and the fish eats it and you got eighty pound braid I mean it's yeah. just it's a set hook and it's just wine 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 you know I mean, they, they, they no troubles no nothing it's just, you got them you know yeah. <laughs> they're yeah. coming in the boat you know so and I've done that in a turn I've done that in a tournament a bunch of times and man you could you could load the boat in a hurry I mean it, it is. And like you said, no trouble hooks, no nothing, man. When you got them, you got them. You just, you know, fix it back up and fire back out there again. Because you can work it like a like a popper, you know, yeah. popper type bait. Or, uh, you know, you can walk it, you can chug it, you can spit, whatever you want to do. And um, and that's the great thing about you know, all the different styles that we have in Spro for for the frogs. Heck yeah, yeah. yeah. So and that that there really kind of leads us into what we really wanted to talk about today, uh, and knowing that. And there's, there's a lot of folks that have confidence baits, right? Baits that always work for them, but there's definitely a time when it calls for power fishing and there's a time when it's you need to slow down and be a little bit more finesse. Um, and really to, to start this conversation, you know, say you're going to fish a brand new body of water and before you even launch the boat, you know, say maybe you're getting some rods out to kind of start just on your, on your notions of you're pulling up to the ramp, you see the lake at you know, first glance, you're about to pull out some rods, you know, what signs are you looking for to kind of get a, a, a figure of if you think you're going to lean more towards power or towards finesse? Like, do you have a process of kind of getting a start of what you're going to be throwing? Yeah. Time, uh, time of year is, is a big, is a big thing. Um, that's usually, I mean, you say, you know, pulling up to a lake, there, there's a lot of things that, that go into that, whether it's just, which goes into making a decision on where you're going to start and what you're going to do, because a lot of that you have to, you know, look at it in the aspect of, you know, do I want quality or do I want quantity? Uh, you know, if it, if it's usually, you know, in the cold months, like if it's like pre-spawn or spawn, heck, I mean, the first four or five months of the year when the fishing is good, I always like to find like, like riprap and, and bridges and, and where, where there's a chance, I mean, where, where the, where the bottle next down, you know, because usually those are the access points where the fish come up and they, they, they feed in the morning and they'll go right back down again. And so, those are the areas that I like to do because, you know, in the springtime, they're going to, the females are going to be sit, setting up there, coming out of the, the deal that you, before they go back into the creeks or the pockets. Cause usually you have a lot of that in, in throughout the lakes that we fish, the river systems and, and, and a few reservoirs as well. But, um, it's always, uh, um, a navigation area for them. So they're always going in and out of there, whether they're, they're coming into spawn or they're leaving to come spawn, they have to go by there. Okay. So, you can catch them in the morning, you catch them in the afternoon, and, and I can't. So that that's always a high percentage spot to start on when you don't know 
um, you know, the lake very well. Marinas outside of the marinas are always good just because it offers a lot of shade. It offers a lot of cover. You know, there's a lot of attributes that the fish like to sit around. So if you were to just go to a brand new lake and you look at it and you're like, okay, well, um, it has, you know, this, this, and that. It's got, you know, docks, you know, you know, they're going to be on docks. Um, but, you know, are they going to be next to the ones that go, you know, way out? Or are they going to be next to the channel bank? So, and those are all things that you have to break down, you know, when you're, when you're practicing. And that's where the power fishing comes in. Okay. So for, at our, at our level, what we do, and this goes with all those guys, you know, all the top tier guys, they, there is, they, they have a system. We all have systems on how we try to break down the lake, trying to figure out where they're at, where they're positioned. You know, do they, do they like, you know, the, the big flats they like, if there's a lot of grass or hydrilla or milfoil, or is there, you know, just docks galore, you know, so each lake is different. And in their mind, you know, you, you're just, you're going through everything, uh, you know, all your experiences and all of the things that you've seen and done where you've caught bass. And it teaches you, you know, how to, how to read the water when you're driving, like, like docks, for instance, I'll just give you a, on that. When you're going down a lake, you can tell how deep the water is around the docks by how, by how big the docks are. If you see a dock that's really long, goes way out there, it's probably pretty shallow out there, especially if they have a lot of water fluctuations. So they will be four or five feet and then they'll be like, no, no, you know, it'll be dry. But the shorter the docks, the deeper the water that's next to them. Okay. So those are the keys that you want to look towards, you know, for certain times of the year that you'll be, he'll, he'll, there'll be a, a stretch of dock where the channel comes by. You know, and it'll drop off into 15, 18 feet of water, on, on, you know, right there at the end of it. Um, and those, those are high percentage spots. So you know that, you know, because you've done it so many times. So you're like, okay, I got that, 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 and that. And then, you know, you're, you're, you know, sometimes they're suspended up underneath them. Sometimes they're at the bottom. Again, you know, time of year is, is a big thing because, you know, if you're throwing a shaky hit or a drop shot or a jig, you know, you, you, know, you want it to fish slow. But sometimes when the shatter's spawning, they're right up underneath it suspended so it's it's all a variance of, of what the has to offer so you know power fishing is a way of breaking down a lake very quickly you know if you have baits that are surface two feet three you know four feet six eight ten and a slower presentation as well so you could basically cover the whole water column in about seven rods you know and, and effectively to where you can you can really figure out what the fish are doing but you know you have to be a cue and you have to you know watch the birds you got to listen to the sounds you got to watch the wind i mean there's a lot of things that you have to be noticed of because all it takes is one little tip and you know these guys will pick up on it and it's happened to me hundreds of times where you just you got it and then all of a sudden you lock into it and then it's like it's the deal so you know exactly what to go do and now you, you've created a pattern and and now it's just a matter of going driving around trying to find more of this stuff where if they're on the long, longer, you know, docks instead of the, the steep ones, you know, that's what you're looking for. And you go into a pocket fishing three or four of those long docks, you know, and you may wander out just to check and make sure they're, you know, make sure they're honest at times, but, but that's how you break it down. And, and with power fishing, you're able to do that because you're able to cover a lot of water very quickly. Okay. So, so when you have that equation put together, right. And, and things are adding up, they're starting to make sense, but you're just not getting them to fire. I mean, when, when things make sense, you can, and you know, fish are around you, what, t like, when do you know to put down the power and pick up, you know, something finesse, like a drop shot or a Nico or something along those lines? Like what, what's your first sign that tells you I need to put this rod down 
and give finesse a try? Again, it, it depends on, on the lake. You know, if, if it's got big ones, you want to throw big baits, you know, obviously. But if we, we go to a spotted bass fishery, for instance, where there's a lot of them, you know, I mean, you can always catch them on a Ned rig. You can catch them on a drop shot or a shaky hit. I mean, those, those are, I mean, that's just standard. You can do all that. Um, so, and that's a finesse way of fishing. And a lot of guys enjoy fishing finesse, which I grew up fishing in. I, I mean, it's not one of my favorites, but I'll do it and I'm good at it. I'm not great at it, like, you know, some of the other anglers, but I, but I can hold my own doing it. And, but, you know, and I, and I but I, I enjoy power fishing. So for me, whatever lake you go to and, and throughout the whole country, there are always fish that you can catch power fishing. Okay. Uh, there's always, it's just a matter of whether those are the right ones, you know, for, to win the tournament with, you know, and people ask yeah. me all the time, Hey, Dean, did you catch them on a frog today? I go, yeah, I caught two or three. Oh no, you're gonna crush them. I said, no, it's not. I mean, it's, I'm not catching the quality that I need because the guys, you know, throwing a, you know, chatterbait or, or flipping or punching, you know, they're gonna, they're gonna whack, they're gonna kill me because they're gonna catch three and a half pounders or four pounders and I'm catching these pound and a halfers. So, you know, it, it, you have to, you have to look at that and say, yes, there is a frog bite, but it's not gonna get me anywhere. So I need to adjust and to, you know, change, you know, baits and so forth uh, to do that because you know, these guys are so good at this level that, that you have to catch them. There's, I mean, and you have to catch good ones. And it's just a matter of, um, it's, it's not even like going out there and having fun because you're just, you're at it all the time trying to catch big ones. And then when you get on a bite, you want to, you, you know, you only want to, you only want to catch what you need and then get out of there because, you know, you got to save them for the next day or two days or three days or however, what it is, you know? So, um, it's, it's just, a, it's all that, all that stuff is, is in your mind and you're going through everything on making decisions out there. that are going to be successful for you to have a, a good event or a great event or win the event. Yeah. Uh, so you mentioned something about, you know, when bigger fish are around and you throw bigger baits and it, it kind of reminded me of this saying that people have had, and I've heard it, you know, numerous times growing up is that, you know, when they're, and they're not eating something, you know, to slow down or throw something smaller, something more finesse. But mm-hmm. and there's times where I've experimented it and it's and it's worked. But I'm kind of curious in, in your case, you know, when that's when things aren't working for you, are there times where you'll go on the flip side of that and go bigger and it'll it'll produce bites versus of going smaller and something, you know, slowing down? Yeah, absolutely. And that's what I said. There's always and on a body of water, there's always you can always catch them on reaction baits or a big bait or whatever it might be. You just got to find the right area for that. And you know, my, myself and there's other anglers that that like to fish like I do. We always end up in the back of a creek or you know up up the river somewhere, 40 miles up there, you know, and and doing things that are that are that are different than what's down the main lake. And so for me, it's you know just trying to read the water and break it down and. You know, and you, what's 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 funny is you say that you know throwing you know the small baits and stuff, and and you would think like when we go to Florida and stuff, you know, there's a lot of big fish down there, you know, but I don't throw big baits in Florida. I throw real small ones. Um, mm-hmm. Growing up in San Diego, fishing for Florida stream, um, whenever there's you know they, they they bite, but they'll bite the smallest baits. It's amazing. They'll bite a two inch bait or three inch bait. I make mean, like a like a seven or eight nine pounder. You know, I mean it's crazy. Wow. And and that's what happens down in Florida. Some of the biggest bass I caught. Well, I, I can't say that because when I broke the record down there, I was throwing a seven-inch lizard on that on that point. But <laughs> after that, you know, when it gets when it gets tough, you know, I, I usually tie on my little fighting frog from Big Bite, and uh, we have a three and a half inch, 
And dude, that little sucker gets bites, you know, and, and that's what you want is to get, you know, constantly getting bite a bit and, uh, you know, to, you know, to stay in tune where the fish are at, where they're positioned, you know, and obviously with, you know, the Bass Pro Tour, it's all about, you know, the numbers and catching as many as you can and trying to get as many bites as you can. Right. So I've, I've gone to a lot of the smaller baits now uh, when I'm fishing. And, you know, Bailey and, and Andrew, you know, our legs are just getting pounded right now, too. Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's a lot more tournaments. There's a lot more pressure on them. And I've really, you know, kind of gone back to, to fishing, the, 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 you know, the smaller stuff again because I get, I get more bites doing it, you know, outside of frog fishing. But, you know, it's just smaller baits. It, it works. Right. Yeah, it's – so I'm, I'm kind of curious then you kind of alluded to it, but Dean, are, are, in terms of a fisherman, are you one where it's not more of a bait selection, but you're going to more move areas to find more active feeding fish than really try to experiment with a bait lineup? Okay. So if we're talking about a lake that I've never been to before, I wouldn't know where to go to try and do all that. So, but if say we went to, I've gone to a lake where, you know, I've, I've fished you know, multiple tournaments there for over the years. And so there are areas that I know that are, are traditionally, you know, where, where bigger fish are. So it's not that I would, you know, always, you know, go there, but it was, it's in, it's in my game plan of eventually, you know, getting to that point uh, of going in that area. And then, of course, I practice there and you, you'll find them and everything. and You kind of know what to look for, but it's all about managing them. If, if that makes any sense, it's just mm-hmm. about managing your areas and managing the lake that fits your style to see you through the whole event, you know, because, you know, we, we fished, you know, three rounds of qualifying and, and a semifinal and then a, and a, a big one, you know, and the, the finals, you know, and that's a lot. And, and the pattern's always changing. And so some of the hardest, you know, lessons I've learned uh, frog fishing is um, they don't always bite. They can't, they don't bite the frog seven days a week. You know, it's, it's very, very difficult to do that, um, you know, on a frog bite because, they bite it very real good when it's, when there's a low pressure, there's high winds, or if there's just, you know, a lot of just moving around, they, they eat it good. But man, when it's, when it stops and it gets flat and bright, Oh, it's, it's like somebody flipped the switch. I mean, they just, they don't, they don't want to come up for it, you know? So it's always like some of my best tournaments have been when it's been like that, you know, sunny and bright during practice and it gets nasty during the tournament. That way I'm on the front side and I can just, I power through and, I, and that way I can catch, you know, frogfish four, four or five days in a row. But usually it doesn't work that way. Usually it, you get two days of really nasty weather and they bite it real good. And you have two days of clearing and then it just, you know, it, it goes away. So the conditions of the weather are such a big factor on positioning of the fish in, in their strike zone, whether they're going to be, you know, run, you know, when it's cloudy, they'll run two or three, four feet to get a bait. When it's sunny out, you know, they're going to be in the shade. They're only going to go a foot, a foot and a half if they have to, you know, uh, unless you have wind, you know, and so they're not going to, you know, it's just, you have to adapt to that. And that's where, you know, you slow down your finesse, target fishing, you know, you know, you're, you're picking your spots on wh- where to count. That makes sense. Cool. So yeah. when you're power fishing, uh, obviously people, you know, they talk about, especially frog fishing, right? They talk about a follow up bait. Um, do you have a follow-up bait that you like a go-to or maybe one that is overlooked? Uh, I don't know if, if it's, uh, yeah, I do. Yes, I do. I have, I have two follow-up baits, um, that I, that I normally use if I'm on a good frog bite, you know, and, and I, and, you know, cause sometimes they just miss it, man. Or sometimes they don't want it. They'll hit it with their I tail. Pu- yeah, exactly. Exactly. Andrew, they'll hit it with their nose 
I've watched them so many times and hit it. They never open their mouth. They just punt it in the air, you know? And so, you know, it's not the frog's fault. You just didn't eat it, you know? So, um, and, and especially like in the springtime when the large mouth are up shallow, it's a great, you know, deal to throw a frog when they're up there shallow because they, they bite it really good. But there are a lot of times where they just, they go up and they swipe at it and they go, man, he missed it. You know, or I had him, you know, no, a lot of times they hit it with their tail or they just, they just roll underneath it and the whole thing, you know, it'll hump up like that. And they just, they just, they don't want it. They want to scare it out. They want to get it out of the area. is basically yeah. what they want, you know? Yeah. So, and so when, when you have it, when, but the greatest thing about that is it showed you where they're at. So a right. lot of times I throw a frog in the springtime and because I want them to show themselves to me, I want to, because, and I, I bend my hooks down. So, you know, even if they, they do get it, you know, uh, I don't hook them anyways, you know? So, uh, but I can't tell you how many times I've done that and gone back in the tournament and, you know, see the little, you know, whatever that little point or whatever it was and throw the frog back up in there and two twitches and he comes out and unloads on it, you know? And, but I would have never known that if, you know, I wouldn't have, you know, located them there. So, the frog is like a tool for me, you know, for when, you know, um, just to locate them and see what, how they're reacting, you know, if they're on the grass line or on the rocks, you know, so it, it's telling me, you know, what I need to be doing. And then, you know, obviously in tournament mode, you know, if I'm throwing the frog and they're blasting it or moving, I always have a backup bait. And um, the number one thing I always do, I always throw, throw back in there again. When I miss them, I throw the, the frog back in there again and I slow it down. I mean, like, like it injured it, you know, or just where I'll let it sit there and, and, and just do one twitch, make it walk over here, you know, and, and then walk it that way and just, 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 just daring them to come get it. You know what I mean? And so that, that, if that doesn't work, then it's it bringing it up. And then in my little big bite, fighting frog, my little three and a half inch, or, you know, I'll, I'll pitch it up in there. And usually, you know, it's about a 30 or 40% chance you're going to get one at, at that point. Um, and then, um, they make also a trick stick on top of that. And I'll, I'll throw that in with a lightweight. Uh, so, and it, again, it all depends on, you know, the cover, if it's you know, a lot of grass or wood, you know, so it, a lot of that stuff, you want something that's going to come through there. Heck yeah. I think that's, that's one that I think folks have really talked about, but that not enough people really implement into their practice in, in, in any scenario of like you getting blow up, you'll throw back in there. But then times where like, oh, maybe just doesn't want it. And then they'll keep going down that bank. Whereas like you mentioned, you could throw back in there. If he doesn't eat it, you can throw a different bait in there and that can trigger maybe not that fish, but maybe that fish was being followed by another fish mm-hmm. and that trigger was a really different bite. But I think that's just something that people overlook in general is, is how crucial that follow-up bait can really be, especially with a, with a top mm-hmm. one. And that can, yeah. obviously, mm-hmm. and that can go for a spinner bait bite, chatterbait bait, yeah. a couple of things that people really don't want to look into, but. Um, yeah, usually when I'm power fishing like that, you know, I let them tell me what they do. And obviously getting the first bite is crucial. Okay. But if you get a second one, I mean, like very quickly or the next, you know, 15 minutes or 20 minutes after that, you know, doing the same thing, you can always tell by where, where they're hooked to, you know, whether they want the bait or they're swiping at it. Um, but usually that's at that point, once, once you get two bites on the same, doing the same deal, then you're onto something, you know, once, you know, you get a suicide fish every now and again, that, you know, bombs your bait, whatever, suicide you know, or, or hits it on the sink. <laughs> That's the worst when you hit, they hit on the sink. Um, you know, you, it doesn't tell you anything. So, uh, but when you can, you can, you know, pick a bait, a crankbait, a spinner, whatever it might be. And uh, you get two bites pretty quickly, then it's time to move on and try and find more of that stuff. And, 
and I have like a, t a 10 minute rule that I learned from, from Kevin Van Dam early, early on. That's why he's always on the move. All the, all the great ones are, are always on the move. And, uh, and I've, I've, you know, and I've learned all that through my years of doing that, that if, if you're not getting bit within the first 10 minutes or 15 minutes, especially on smallmouth too, I mean, they, they hit it, you know, instantly. I mean, you're going to know if they're there or not. Yep. Um, so like 10 minutes is about 10, 15 minutes, maybe. And then you need to be either changing your bait or you need to be, you know, a different, different technique. And then, and then, um, or just moving, you know, to the next spot or the next point or next dot, whatever it is, because, you know, you need, you need to, you need to you know, find them and find the, the areas where the, the fish are at. For sure. Yeah. It's, that's always a, a really tough dilemma, not only for myself, but I think for a good amount of anglers and even some of the best from sure I get torn with it. And I'm sure you kind of mentally struggle with it. Like, I think this is an occurring thing for everyone. There's just, a, there's people like yourself that are much better at making the decision uh, than the rest of us where it's, do I stay or do I keep looking? Am I, you know, do I think, you know, they might still be here. Should I just switch up baits? And it's always this decision of, should I just keep trying to look for more active fish or should I try to, you know, figure these fish out? But, um, you know, that's, that's what sets apart the, uh, the pro anglers and successful anglers from the rest is that decision-making process, but, um, keep everything honest. Yeah. 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 <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's a great point, Andrew. Uh, a lot of that is just time on the water, you mm -hmm. know, and you see it, you see things and you feel things. I mean, it's, it's weird how you spend so much time out there that you can almost feel stuff happening. And, and if, if you're, if you open it up, open your, open your mind up to a lot of that stuff, because you know, you'll, you'll see the wind or you'll feel the wind or temperature, whatever it might be, or the water there, they start, you know, the currents moving, you know, whatever, you know, so there's always, you're always trying to evaluate the situation you're in and, and being keen and being, you know, like right there at that moment, at that present time. And, and, you know, and when I do it every day, you know, for 12, 14 hours a day, you know, you get, you get, you know, in tune to all that stuff. So, mm -hmm. you know, you know, Bailey, you said that, you know, it's hard for, for weekend anglers when they only fish, you know, three times a, you know, a month, you know, on the weekend, it's hard to be that way. You just want to go out and catch some fish and have fun, you know? And, 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 and so, and, and you, you're trying different baits and trying different techniques and so forth, you know, so it's, it's hard, but for like the pro guys, the top tier guys, I mean, they're, they're good at everything and mm -hmm. they can, they can do, they can pick up, you know, you know, a, a, a drop shot with six pound and then, you know, be punching with 80 on, you know, on the backside. So, you know, and everything in between. So it's just, yeah. it's, Hey, I love it, man. I mean, that's, I'm always challenged and I always get to fish against the best guys in the world. Heck yeah. Yeah. And mm -hmm. I think one thing that's super overlooked that Andy and I both agreed on was how good of a drop shot angler that you, you've, that you are and have been. <laughs> and Andrew, I did get to watch you fish a drop shot on the Niagara River a few years ago in the classic qualifying bracket. Yeah, How much you were there, fun. Andrew. Yeah, I was. I was chasing oh, uh, yeah. you guys around with my buddy Joe and a Nitro Z9. I think I was there like, I think I was there all three days or three of the four days that mm -hmm. you guys fish for like both morning and afternoon sessions. It was a lot of yeah. fun. Yeah. Do you, do, so, do, Andrew, do you know uh, Chris uh, uh, Seisner? Yeah, I know Todd. Yeah, Todd, Todd Sizer, Sizer, yeah, I know Todd. Yeah, Todd. He yeah, used to he, be. He was um, the whole time. He's a great he, dude. I like that guy. He used to be our secretary for their bass club that I was just mm -hmm. vice president in. 
So yeah, I, I know Todd. Bailey knows Todd pretty well too. So yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. But well, that I, tournament was cool because we had to fish the river. You yeah, had heavy current too. On top of that, and uh, and I just gosh, I broke off so many you know you know weights in the current and stuff. But you had to be in the swift stuff. And yeah. uh, I was I was paired up with Jordan Lee in that round, and uh, that was that was pretty pretty amazing because he had me beat until the last ten minutes, and I beat him with one with with two minutes to go. It was uh, exciting, yeah. and that was. Was that the four pounder you caught off the intake? Yeah, if I remember correctly. Yeah, mm-hmm. I was like, dang, he just exposed one of my spots. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, and that, those, that those, those, yeah, those was huge. That and the um the the barge tie ups or the those big rock, you know, yeah. they're just you know, I don't know if they're icebreakers or how what they are, but. They they block the current. Them smallmouth love being around a lot. Of stuff. There are water intakes for a city okay. about thirty miles from there. Okay, believe it or not, yeah. So yeah, it was, it was interesting. It was love, and it was cool, man. I, uh, that was that was Bass's attempt, you know, at that time to to uh, experiment with with the catchway and release format. Yeah. Um, at the time, the Bass Pro Tour, um, you know, gave him the scales and showed him how to do it and everything. So we were you know trying to work together on all that. And, um, that was the, that was the, the event that they, you know, tested it on. And, and, uh, my, my boat official, if you will, was Trip Weldon. He's, you know, he's the tournament oh. director oh, yeah. for bass, you know? So I had to sit there in the boat with him, you know, he, he's like, you know, he didn't say a whole lot. You know, he didn't get excited. You know, he's just, you know, he's a tournament director. So he just, he just numbed to everything, you know, but a great, a great guy, great gentleman, you know? And, uh, but he, he got to see it, and when when I caught that fish and and, and beat Jordan with two minutes two minutes to go, he goes, "Dang, Dean, that was really cool. That was really cool." I said, "Man, it's <laughs> exciting, you know, when you know what everybody else has." Yeah. You know, and I mean, I mean, really, real time. It's not, you know, it's not, you know, fast track where it's a guess. I mean, this is this is what you got, and so, um, and you see it play out, and that's what makes it so exciting. Yeah, by yeah. uh, the highlight of that tournament was I think we chased Kobe Krieger around all over oh, the river yeah. on like the final qualifying day to try to get the final round, and he was like trying to catch one twelve-inch fish, and yeah. I think he ended up catching like one or two. But literally, I think we chased him up and down the river five times from like mm-hmm. bridge to bridge. Mm-hmm. They're like, "Gosh, that's thirteen miles each way. Like you're wasting yeah. so much time." <laughs> yeah, that was that was the tournament. Poroznik didn't stop fishing. Remember yep. that? Oh yeah, so, I was right there. Let him have because he wanted to make the class. There. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it it was wild. It was. Oh yeah, it was wild. But yeah, oh man, it had to be a pretty unique fishery for you guys because I think the only place that really comes close to that is maybe like a St. Lawrence River in terms of current. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and a St. Lawrence River where it gets real narrow, where you have a lot of current, heavy current, you know. Um, the St. Lawrence, it widens out at places so the current is not as swift. But that Niagara River, that yeah. sucker's rolling, man. It's got to go over the falls, so it's yeah. moving. <laughs> Especially if it has a, a west wind and the wet water's pushing into it. It's yeah, rolling, so man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> For sure, I love. But that I, river, I love it. It's, it's yeah, it's, it's awesome. It's a, it's a nice, nice place to fish. Yeah. So, Andy, I got two questions left here for Dean. We're gonna let him go, but before I do, you have anything left for him? Um, I was gonna say the most. What is your most underrated drop shot bait while we're talking finesse fishing here? Most underrated, in, in, in my opinion. 
Yeah. Hmm, that's a good question. Underrated. Um, we, everybody knows about flatworms, three-inch yeah. shows, gulp baits. Maybe you like know, a big bite bait that could be really good. Yeah, you know, and, and they, they make a hand poured style. And, and I'm, I, you know, I, I use a lot of hand poured stuff, a lot, a lot of custom stuff. Um, and Big Bite, you know, makes a lot of that stuff as well. But there's something about that soft texture and the salt and stuff. And I don't use it a whole lot, but when it, when I need to, you know, that's what I use uh, on that. And it's just going back to my roots, you know, growing out West. Um, the fish are so heavily pressured in San Diego when I was growing up. If it didn't have 16 red sparkles in it and a perfect purple vein, you weren't going to get a bite. You know what I mean? I, I think we're going with robo worm here. Yeah. Okay. This is, this, yeah. This, okay. So you think, you think a robo worm, well, there's like 30 guys pouring the stuff in the garage. Yeah. That's, that's, you know, encompassing all around. Robo worm is, is just a big brand that you hear of, but right. there are countless, countless custom, uh, hand poured, uh, companies out, out in the West. But there, you know, it's all about the colors too and the shapes and so forth. But, you know, big bites got, got that, the Somali slammer. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a great little bait. And, um they also have the hand poured stuff you know it, it's an injection mold but it's real super soft like it tears real easy which is what you want uh and all the great colors as well so you know it's just a, a smorgasbord whatever and and you got to think about it. i mean if they're if they're on you know the smelt or they're on the gulp you know or the the, uh, the golbies you know you got to think about colors and where you're doing you know in, in different different ways mm-hmm. times where they just want a different color yeah i think the robo worm has become a, a staple for a lot of tournament anglers, especially in a largemouth fishery, every yeah, and like you know, like I said, I mean, they were around twenty-five years ago. You know, um, you know, when I was growing up, they were already there. You know, and so, and um, you know, it just it was just cool. So, you know, it's just cool in that era of you know the hand poured custom stuff, and you know, with myself and and Skeet and Ish and Aaron. Martins, you know, we all came back and fished, you know, on, on, on the tour and everything. So, um, you know, a, a, that's where Aaron did so well, you know, and all the, a lot of those events and basically introduced the whole country to drop shotting because he was, he was phenomenal, you know, and, and I fished against him probably a thousand days, a couple thousand days because he grew up a hundred miles from me. So we, we were always competing against each other, you know, throughout my whole life, um, yeah. you know, because we always competed and, there were a lot of times he beat me like a drum, man. I mean, he's uh, he's a great angler, you know. It's just uh, really keen on picking things up. The right. little drop shot shake. Yeah, <laughs> can't beat yeah. it. <laughs> I know, I know. It's, uh, yeah. So. Yeah. Well, Dean, we don't want to keep you for too long. Uh, we really appreciate you taking time yeah, out here you. to come join us. But uh, I got two last questions for you, and I know I promised I wouldn't uh, ask too many questions about frog, but this one of this last <laughs> one frog because andy and i are both curious and i think a lot of people are too because it is newer to uh to the market and it's that the new spro flapping frog yeah and, mm-hmm. uh, we're, we're kind of just curious you know we know how you're a wizard with the popping frog and that regular walking frog we're curious where this is going to uh, fall into your lineup of where you choose that flapping frog over the other two in terms of you know when you're gonna you know, obviously choose it what scenario what conditions what are you gonna be looking at mm-hmm it's interesting you ask that, Bailey, because we were going to come out with, with a bait like that about about six years ago. You know, we were always exploring different things on how we can do, um, you know, different actions on the bait. You know, of course, the horny toad type of, you know, your winding, 
some type of frog bait that kicks and stuff. So we, we, we did all that stuff and looked into all that stuff and did what we wanted to do. And, and we're like, well, no, let's just, you know, let's just stay what we're good at with what we're doing. Let's just create more colors, more designs of our bronze eye or popping frog, King daddy, you know, different stuff, the spit chat, you know, all that stuff. We, we, we went through all the, that whole arena of, we wanted to be your one-stop shop when you wanted to buy a frog. Okay. Which is pro. That's what you want. So, um, and then fine. And then it, it came out because the amount of people that, that have asked about it. And that's, that's something we, we do very well at Spro is we pay attention to our customers and what they want, you know, because not everybody can work, make a, make a frog walk and dance and chug and do all that stuff, you know, and, we want you to have a positive experience, you know, when you're fishing a, a frog. So we knew we needed it and it was a matter of designing it. Uh, the plastic that that's on that particular bait is what is stretchy. It doesn't tear. I mean, you know, you hook a pike on it or something like that, or, a, you know, or a muskie or something, it's going to, it's going to chew it in half, but um, it's, it's designed to, you know, easily fish, throw it out there. It's not going to get hung up, you know, and for you just to, to wind it and it's a visual thing. So, you know, people love to watch their bait on the cross of the water, you know, so that's what we, that's what we did. And so, like I said, it's soft, but pliable. Um, it carries a great Gamagatsu hook in it. Uh, and it's, it's it designed a little bit different than what we got, but it's, it's designed to track straight. It's not designed to go side to side. You know, you want to, to track, you know, right back to you. So, you know, little attributes like that. And we're just trying to fill, fill the, the, you know, the void. Of, of areas and we've got like two more that we're coming out with that oh, we've been working on that's coming down the pipeline too Ooh, okay something yeah. to keep uh keep a lookout for all right dean's putting out teasers on us now so everyone's <laughs> <gonna keep a look. laughs> you can't stop you can't stop because you know the other companies you know they've they've they've, they've you know jumped on the train now and they've all got their frogs but you know spro's still number one and, and we, we, we want to stay number one and, and keep creating, you know, and, and building the best, you know, top water hollow belly baits on the market. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, I, I don't really, yeah. I mean, Andy, I don't think we really throw any other frog besides this bro. So it's, it's, uh, yeah. for me, I will, if, especially when it's, you know, a spawn for largemouth fisheries, I'm going to always mm -hmm. have a killer gale pop and spro, uh, spro pop and frog on all the time, uh, and to mm -hmm. up until fall. Um, yeah. But uh, we uh, we want to close this one out with uh, our question that we have for everyone that's new to the show. Uh, it's what we like to do to uh, just for fun, you know, spur of the moment, and uh, kind of see what the answers are for folks. And uh, okay. we'll close with this. And uh, our last question for you is: If you could sit down, have a, a nice steak and a beer with three individuals, uh, they could be alive thousand years ago or today, doesn't matter. It uh, doesn't have to be the fishing industry, but if you could sit down with three individuals, have a beer and a steak, and pick somebody's brain, who are you going to invite? Oh, man. That's a that's a big question on that. I, I, you know, it's uh, – oh. you know, I don't know. I don't know. It, it's that's like, not an acceptable answer, Dean. I know I'm it's hurt. not. I know, Andrew. I know. <laughs> That's why you gotta you gotta tell me for that one too next time, Bailey. Okay, because then I could give some names. Now I'm like, no, like blank. That, that's like, the best part about it. It's the reaction yeah. because you're unaware of the question that is coming. So, yeah, I think um, we live for this part. <laughs> Golly, I think that um, you know I'm I'm like a historian and stuff. So I think maybe a couple of the past presidents. I think I would like to, to sit down and just talk to them. 
and, and, you know, pick their brain about, you know, um, you know, the country or how we interact with other countries, you know, and how all that stuff works. I, I love, I love all that stuff and on the intricacies of, of working with that. Um, yeah, uh, fisherman wise, I'd love to spend a day on the water with Kevin Van Dam. I've never got to fish with him. Uh, like, you know, cause you get to fish with a lot of guys, you know, just up for photo shoots or fun stuff, but I'd like to do that. Rick Klun, uh, you know, on that aspect, I guess the fishing side, but, um, people wise, I don't know. Do you ever have, like an, athlete or have like an athlete or anyone, you know, growing up that you really looked up to? A lot of them, you know, um, you know, I'm talking about working and stuff. I, I worked at San Diego Jack Murphy Stadium where the San Diego Chargers played in the San Diego Padres. So I would go around selling peanuts and Cracker Jacks in and around the stands. So I got to, I would work in the evenings during the games and then I'd go fishing during the daytime. So that was part of my deal there. So I got to see a lot of the, the big, big players, you know, and when Mark McGuire and, and uh, Sammy Sosa did all those home runs because we had the all-star game there, you know, watching them just hit them out of the park, you know, like they were candy. Uh, that was an amazing time, you know, to see all that. I mean, they were on the juice, obviously, but uh, it was cool to watch them, <laughs> you know, just knocking them out of the park, you know. So, oh, you know, man. you could see some really cool things. Um, you know, that was a cool job because I got to be around, pe- you know, people that were, you know, passionate about sports and stuff. And But, uh, you know, it's just it's cool, dude. It's just life, man. It's, it's, I've seen so much and done so much. It's just a, a, lot, it's a lot of it. You know, I can pick out a thousand of these moments because, they're just cool, you know. When you—that's so cool about this job. You get to go to the whole, the whole country, you know. Some of the cool places we went to South Dakota for Lake Wahi and the Bassmaster event. I was, you know, it was awesome up there. You know, I'd never been to up there before, and you know, fishing Maine, Florida, California, Oregon. I mean, every state is cool here in the United States. It's awesome. Thank you. Yeah. So we're truly blessed with yes. the diversity mm-hmm. of the country we have from a mm-hmm. nature aspect. Mm-hmm. So it, yeah. it, it's awesome yeah yeah it is it is we, we're grateful that's why i just i love i've been doing it a long time and i love it you know and competing against the guys and stuff and at this level it's just yeah it's awesome Heck yeah well dean mm-hmm. seriously we uh we appreciate you taking time out of your night to sit down yeah, and, talk yeah. with us and uh, drop some knowledge on everyone and uh these two fools that you're talking to uh through, <laughs> a, through a laptop screen right now we uh we do sincerely appreciate the time and uh, we hope to get you back on the show here soon. But uh, seriously, thank you. And we appreciate uh, you joining in here. Yeah. yeah, Bailey, thank you for the invite. Andrew, thank you very much. And, and it's cool right. talking to you guys. Yeah. I enjoy doing this. So if, if you guys, you know, you want to pop on, you know, three or four months from now or whatever, just give me a call. It'll be cool just to talk. And you guys you guys are cool dudes anyway, so I don't well, mind thanks. talking. It's, it's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we We'd love to get you on, and uh, dude, I'll be down uh, working uh, the Red Crest, so hopefully the, at some point I'll Sweet. come say hello, and uh, maybe we'll get you on after that. Yeah, yeah I'll say good after the BBT goes to Cayuga this summer, if I remember correctly, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So maybe mm-hmm. after that as well, like a New York recap. Yeah, I'm going to go back to Oneida again. I want to go to Onondaga. The- I want to go. I want, there's a lot of places I want to go up there because it's good <laughs> yeah. fishing, man. Mm-hmm. Holler at us because th- those are uh, my stomping grounds growing up. Those were the mm-hmm. lakes I grew up on and Cayuga especially. So if you're ever out this way and you're free, holler at I us. I guide on Erie, so like it's fun. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. And you know Todd Seisman, so that's even cooler. Yeah, Todd's yeah. a good dude. Yeah. He's a good I'll be, dude. I'll be 
Todd here soon. I, I hope so. I, I've worked a couple events with Todd uh, doing PR in the, the fishing industry. So it's, uh, mm-hmm. it's kind of just funny that we realized it didn't, we didn't click until last spring when I started working in the PR industry that we literally lived like right down the road from each other. We're like, Oh, this will make things easy. Cause yeah. you're yeah. PR. Uh, yeah, it's, it was cool. But, uh, but yeah, Dean, seriously. Tell, tell Todd I said hi. We'll do. We'll do. Yeah, yeah. We'll, do. we'll have to uh, get everyone together when you're when you're up here for the KU event and get the. Oh, that'd be fun. He's a he's a hoot, man. He's he's cool. I enjoy yeah. hanging out with him. He can tell some stories about me, I'm sure, but that's probably for another show. <laughs> Maybe oh, we'll, have to, uh, we'll have you on after Red Crest and get Todd on here as a surprise guest. And do oh it. yeah, that would be fun. That'd be fun. He'd love that. <laughs> he <would. laughs> All right, Dean. We appreciate it. All right, guys. All right. Right. Thank you. Yeah, have a good Thank night. Uh huh. You too. Take good care. Night. Bye, dude. It's uh, yeah, that, that was a lot of fun with Dean, and uh, uh, I have to say, big thank you to Fred Kentawi, who uh, uh, not at this past year's classic, but the pre- uh, previous year before COVID, you know, really took off. Uh, at uh, Gunnersville, that's where I met Dean for the first time, was uh, back when I was working for Douglas Rods. Uh, Fred actually walked, he just basically grabbed me by the arm, he was the rod designer. Well, is the rod designer for Douglas? He yanked me through the Classic Expo and introduced me to a whole bunch of people. Uh, and that's where I got to uh, meet Dean, and uh, he's been a good dude ever since. So we really appreciate him joining in and dropping some knowledge. Because Andy, honestly, this whole power versus finesse, what to do when, make this decision, is I mean, I think it's my biggest you know hurdle. But I I, I say that as in it's like a personal problem when really that's just an angler problem. That's like. Even the best of the best face oh, that. Oh, we all we all struggle with it. Absolutely. That's the biggest hurdle in fishing, in, in my personal opinion. It's what to do when. I mean, no one knows. There's no right answer. I mean, you could go and make the you know right decision, right, and go and catch a thirty pound bag, but you could have made a better decision and caught a forty pound bag. Like it's yeah. it's yeah, it's it's you'll never know. It's or just, in one area, you could be on a twenty pound bag bite in practice, and then. You're like, I'm going to catch them on a jig flipping weed lines in 12 foot of water. And all of a sudden they stop eating it. And you're seven hours in, you're sticking to your guns and you zero. And all you had to do was pick up a drop shot and you can catch that 20 pound bag just because they want something slower. It's crazy though. Like people in practice, I mean, I'm guilty of it. I've done it a few times where it's like, uh, even practice or even if it's a day, a multiple day event, you're you're on day one, like you find a specific bite and it's going on conditions completely change and you expect that bite to still be there and you go back and it's not there and you're like i don't understand why it won't bite yeah. then you but you're not you're too focused on history and not focused on what the conditions are telling you so sidebar well not even a sidebar note one right there we as fishermen on a body of water rely too much on history than fishing in the moment and i think it bites a lot of us in the back especially like young anglers like you and I, Bailey, we have history on some bodies of water to where we can get tied into a certain thing because it worked three out of four times or three out of three times. And then the fourth time we go there and we're like, oh, they're not biting this today. What do I do now? So, and I think that's where practice and time in the water comes into play because the more experiences we have on these bodies of water, the more we can articulate our game plan while we're on the water and make really good sound judgments and always trusting our gut, but making sound quick, timely, 
um, adjustments while on the water to figure out what they're doing. And I mean, I personally think I'm guilty of changing up too fast. I'll put 20 rods on deck and I'll flip through all of them in the first 40 minutes. If I don't get bit till I get bit on something, then where I struggle is once I get a bite, I use that same rod all day long. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I will say, Andy, to give yourself credit, I have seen times where you've picked something up, caught a few fish on it right away. And even after you just threw a fish back in, you'll change completely because something else told you different. And then you catch a bigger fish. Like it's just, they're making the right adjustments. You might be doing something, catch a lot of fish, but you need to know that there could be an adjustment that could be a better adjustment just because you're catching fish. And it all pertains to the format you're fishing, what your goal is that day. If you're fun fishing and you're catching a crap ton of them and that's might all be what you want to do, then hey, that's fine. But like in most cases, there will be a better adjustment to the adjustment you already make. And that's why fishing is so fun is because it's there's like we talk about all the time. There is no book. There is no clear cut. You know, it's, there's no crystal ball. It's it's awesome because there's so different, so many different variables that, that come into play. It, it's all about keeping it honest. And I can think of like two different times this year where we've done something like that. Like the one was the one tournament that we won and we're flipping grass. And all of a sudden I just picked up a chatterbait. Like, well, like, God, they're going to eat it right now because something changed in the barometric pressure. And I ended up, I think that was our biggest fish of the day. I only mm-hmm. got one bite on it, but I was like, and I put it right back down. And I think I picked something else up. Like, Within mm-hmm. like five casts out there, I was like, oh, they're not going to eat it again. But like, it's just, you have to keep things honest. And that's why I like, like people make fun of me or whatever, because I have a hundred rods on my deck at the end of the tournament day. But I think I will cast every one of those rods at least one time. There's usually like one or two rods you're going to use for 95% of the day. Yeah. But then there's those rods that you only make three or four casts with, but can produce a huge part of your yeah. day. In terms it's like, of you know what? This dock or this lay down right here has the wind blowing in on it at this angle. This I'm going to get bit on a spinnerbait. So I'll dig through there, grab a spinnerbait that I have tied on, whip it in there two times. And either I get bit or I don't, but then it'll sit on the deck the rest of the day until that one situation arises where it looks right for that bait. And it all comes down to time on the water. Yeah. I, I was blessed this year to have a lot more time on the water than normal. So I felt way more in tuned and it was quite nice to not be chasing my tail for once so <laughs> yeah you got some time to to go looking and not just trying to to catch fish exactly and now next summer even more time <laughs> isn't it crazy now to see you know when you put in the time to look for stuff what the results can produce yeah it's nice like yeah, i think we- i went from like 500 waypoints on erie to close to 2000 now yeah. So like, yeah, just, SD cards full, and I'm graphed from a damn guy. <laughs> yeah, well, that's because you're everything you can mark. Like, <laughs> like idling at four miles an hour while graphing, you can miss some stuff. So yeah, I keep cycling back. And when you're when you're paddling at about two, you can get everything. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it says something when you can auto chart a whole dang lake with with a guy. <laughs> Dude, uh, that was a good night. Yeah, good episode. Big thank you to Dean for joining us. We are definitely going to be getting him back on the show, and uh, it's it was just a really good topic to to discuss. And um, you know, one I think I'm really happy that we were able to do it while even though I'm on a work trip, 
So thank you, Andy, for pushing all the buttons and making things work tonight. Uh, especially hey, you push some too. Don't worry. Especially because it's nine twenty my time, and it's even later for you because you're obviously Eastern. So I appreciate yeah. you taking the long night, taking one for the team. But uh, beyond that, Andy, I'm good here. If we want to yeah. wrap it up, I mean, I think everybody have a great week. If you didn't tune in live, um, and I hope everybody enjoyed the recording. And as always, um, if you're generous, please hit the subscribe button. Hit the thumbs up. Leave a comment what you want to see and hear from us in the future, and we'll do what we can to get it done. Yeah, and uh, that being said as well, if you're still with us, thank you. And if you listen to this on MP3, especially Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating and review, and that helps out big, big time. So yes. thank so, you very much, folks. But see for you. now, we'll see you guys on Friday. Peace. Well, that was an awesome show. Hope you guys enjoyed it. If you can and your app allows it, please leave us a rating and review. It really helps us get seen more, which allows us to access more time and more variables to be able to bring to the show to make it better for you guys. So hope you enjoyed it. And if you did and you liked some of the things we talked about in this episode and want to check out our show partners, all of that is in every single show description. You can click down there. It's got all of our discount codes, all of our links to our show partners where you guys can go and support the people that support this show and help us make this show happen. And of course, this show does not happen without you guys. You guys know we appreciate you. You're the Sears Sanger fam. You're the reason we're here. Appreciate y'all, and we'll see y'all on the next one.